language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. Can you imagine what it's like to be an ace pilot? This is your chance to make that dream come true. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to Star Wars From the Back to Tank, the Star Wars Resistance Edition. I am Michael, your host, and uh, hello, David. How are you? Hello, how's it going, everyone? You are sitting in the astromech slot in the back. It's a little tight in here. Yep. Yeah, but sometimes we like tight spots, right? Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, tight fits are good every once in a while, right? Sometimes, I mean, you don't want to go down deep into that Sarlacc oh, pit. Okay, all right. All right, so today we're back, and we're going to be talking about Episode 9, the Platform Classic. The synopsis, an upcoming race reunites Yeager with his estranged brother, Marcus, who needs to win to pay off his debt. Is it Marcus or Jarek? I think it's... I think It's it, Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. Who needs to win to pay off his debt to the Guavian Death Gang. Marcus Speedstar. Yeah. That's a... That's a... Very flamboyant name. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a Star Wars name right there. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. So this episode is written by Kevin Burke and Chris Wyatt, directed by Stuart Lee. So another episode of Star Wars Resistance. And with this episode, writers Kevin Burke and Chris Wyatt take some time to develop our favorite character, Dave. So far, yeah. And that character would be Yeager. Yeah, so they shed some light on the mysterious character, and we learn a little bit about his past. Nothing entirely relevant to the bigger story of Star Wars, but definitely relevant to the immediate star story of Resistance. Um, they are ta- they have taken time out to flesh out the background, or at least give us some depth to various characters so far that we've been introduced to. Uh, Yeager was one of the the last remaining ones we don't really know much about and that also includes our lead Kaz we also don't know much about him yet so Yeager and his brother are at odds apparently yes uh, Marcus Yeager's brother was responsible for the death of Yeager's family that's pretty damn dark I'm gonna I'm just gonna, it is. I'm just gonna say that I, I don't think I could forgive my brothers if uh, the accident was something as reckless as the picture they painted this week I think that's why that's why that ending for that episode was I think it was very well done and it was maturely written. This episode was actually really surprised me because I was thinking a lot of things with resistance where it was, oh, they're going to take the the lesser of two evils and Mm -hmm. try to go for the kitty route. But they really handled a dark, rather dark story and actually did did it justice in the end. You still had that really good moral, hey, kid friendly ending. But you also still have this overtone that this is reality. This is this is what a, a story like this should go. I feel like it worked. I mean, if you're going to use a plot device like Marcus to if you're going to introduce a plot device like Marcus was, in fact, this is the way you use that plot device. Yeah. Help it use it to help 
flesh out one of our our core characters and they and they did a good job. Um, this little sibling squabble got Yeager back into the cockpit, which I thought was fun. And we saw him uh, race. We keep hearing about the, how great Yeager is as a mechanic. But little did we know that he also can uh, kick some ass in the cockpit. And dude, the racing scenes in this episode were really well done. I I honestly really enjoyed them. It was fun. At first, I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, all right, so this is called the Platform Classic. It's supposed to be the most dangerous race of all time, but uh, they're flying through hoops again. <laughs> I am. I don't see the danger in that. Let's because one. The first thing I thought about was the Han Solo uh, miniseries for Marvel, where Solo picked up a mission from the Rebel Alliance, and his ego got the best of him, and he figured, "Hey, I can do. I can kill two birds with one stone. I can prove myself as a pilot, and I can finish this Rebel mission." And his race was absolutely fantastic and oh, yeah. dangerous. It was through all types of different planet systems and asteroid belts. Uh, Stormtroopers were flying after them. It was just, it was everything that you would expect from a Han Solo type race. So I was kind of, well, thinking, well, they got to do something like that, right? If this is going to be labeled as one of the most dangerous races, then you better you better bring it. But I did like how they changed it up and, and had one of those hoops up in the sky and the whole ion charge that yeah, would the turn the power off of their jets. And then they had to glide through another one. That was interesting. That, that was, was actually pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I really, I, I wasn't the same boat as you where it was like, okay, they're just going to actually make this jumping pod through racing. Yeah, they're right. going to make it pod racing, but they actually gave the, the hoops, Kind of like a really cool thing is kind of like it's it, it looks like it's like a point system or it's a certain obstacle. Like what you said is like they flew through that ion ring and it shuts down the machines and you they literally have to glide down till the right moment where they glide through another hoop and it starts up their engines. Again. Yeah, that was creative. That it's was creative. It's something we haven't seen before and also using, you know, cannon compliant tech like the ion charge that would depower their vessels. I felt like it worked. Uh, dude, so I, I still say some of the aces, even though we haven't touched on any of those characters. What aces? I didn't see any of them. Well, <laughs> the funny part is just seeing them. I'm like, going, I want to know about that guy who's actually driving the... Uh, With the stormtrooper pilot? The stormtrooper pilot. Well, yeah. That was cool. Yeah. I mean, he was more or less like the, the main antagonist of the 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 race because he was like slamming into people, getting making sure that they don't go through the rings. He's the only one that actually goes. And he was actually the guy that was causing most of the problems for Marcus and Yeager. Mm -hmm. And I was like thinking to myself, man, I want to know more about the aces because they're so diverse. Listen, David, I want to know about the aces too, but before we learn about anybody else, can we fucking learn about Kaz? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we 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 found out that no one likes him by the end, even BBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the melodrama during the race itself was a bit much. I mean, they're talking on the comms about their problems while fighting. My, my question was: Was that a private channel, or could everyone hear them? Like, was like Doza like, uh, guys, um, <laughs> your comms are broadcasting yes. out to everyone. You might wanna yeah. might wanna. Put a just, lid on it. Marcus, you're, you're just saying that basically you're being blackmailed on air. Yeah. Marcus, <laughs> you're admitting that you don't know how to race and you're not very good unless your brother lets you win. You just told everybody that. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah. Th- so, I mean, that was kind of funny, but I get it. You have a 22 minute episode when you take into account commercials. It's a good way to kind of. I guess uh, what's the proper wording, I guess, to, again, let's just use a. T- killing two birds with one, one stone. stone yeah you're progressing the story you're seeing the race and then you're dealing with the immediate you know issue between yeager and his brother marcus it, it's almost like there's certain times in the in this episode where you have to suspend your belief yeah and, and listen I, I i get that i i don't my problems again this is a juvenile show so i don't have a problem with them cutting corners that would make sense for this type of show we wouldn't get these types of things in a show like the clone wars or star wars rebels just because it's a it's a more of a mature show and i always say this um i've said this various times on this show and i actually discussed this with a few of my friends who have tried to give resistance a chance um and i and we it always goes to the same thing when you look at clone wars and star wars rebels those two shows were star wars stories that use the cartoon format to tell the story. Yes. Whereas this is a cartoon using Star Wars. Like this is an actual cartoon. Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars, you can easily you can easily take what you saw in Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and translate that over to a live action medium. I would find it really hard to see Kaz and his buffoonery actually working in a live action unless he yeah. was an alien like Jar Jar, but to see a grown man in his 20s act like how he acts in a cartoon it just wouldn't work his arms and stuff yeah it doesn't work no so i get what they do so reviewing this objectively little things like that you're going to get those things in these types of in this type of cartoon yes now in the end they worked through their differences uh yeager and marcus and uh, but i'm glad they didn't actually fully resolve the problem itself it would have felt a bit weak it would have been cheesy i mean yeah you killed my family cool i forgive you i forgive you it it was a bit more complicated than that but at least they came to an understanding yeah that's why dude one of the most one of the most coolest well-written points of the story was the very end when yeager looks at looks at him and marcus says you know all is forgiven and yeager goes no yeah, I like that they added that. I, I like that because like it would have been a little too it would have been a little too easy and cheesy for him to be like, yeah, OK, yeah. I haven't spoken to you in like 20 10, years, 20, 10, 20 years. Hey, you apologized and all is forgiven. Never mind the fact that my family is in a grave site someplace because you acted a fool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad they chose not to fully resolve that. They resolved the immediate issue. And you can see that in the future, they they may come to terms and, and maybe even act like brothers again. But uh, the immediate issue of this episode was resolved and, and it felt right how they did it. And dude, the dangers of like I've been noticing like one of the things that I've been seeing in a lot of Star Wars stories for detail wise, the dangers of hyperfuel. That's it's amazing. In solo, we see how dangerous the hyperfuel and how limited it is. It just goes to show you how hardcore solo is. Yeah, I know, and that's that what, that's what it helps. He, so far, he seems to be the only one that's able to pilot with some hyperfuel. <laughs> little in there. little details like that really do help. I agree. Kind of form the galaxy because, like, in in resistance, one of the things that they've been able to do is like showing the dangers and the 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 the, the importance of hyperfuel, and it doesn't undermine what they did with solo and solo is star wars story in fact fact, because if you it it absolutely does and i like that it doesn't that hyperfuel isn't just something that anybody can harness and use appropriately um because then it would kind of undermine the uh 
the the danger that it presented to the audience, us, the viewers in Solo a Star Wars Story. So I like that they continue to emphasize uh, the dangerous, volatile nature of coaxium, a.k.a. hyperfuel. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see overall Yeager front and center. Now, even though I said we didn't get anything on the bigger picture, we did get some additional strengthening of things we already knew. It was only briefly mentioned. It had to do with the downsizing of the military after the Battle of Jakku. We already know this from various tie-in media releases uh, throughout the last few years. But most recently, from the Lando solo novel, uh, Last Shot, where they state, they specifically state that Mon Mothma was intent on stripping down the military of the new Republic. And I like how they tied that into Yeager's backstory. Cause now we know how he got involved in racing after the war yeah. and in becoming a mechanic and where he's currently at, uh, in order to provide for his family, he had to start racing. Now I was thinking, is this the reason he doesn't want to have anything to do with the resistance because of how they essentially left him high and dry? I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I had the same thoughts because like the way that they portrayed it, was one of one of the other bonuses of this uh, episode that I actually put down here was the fact that they took that one line where they talk about the downsizing and you could tell Yeager he's not really happy about it. It's not the fact that basically, it, well, in some way, it the could, incident with his with his brother. It's also the fact that he was a fighter in the fighter for the rebellion. And they downsized and forced him to become like a racer. Yeah, but it's not even about that. Like, forget the ego aspect and forcing him to be a, a racer. But look at in a lot of ways, if if they're smart, if they will, if they're smart and this isn't just coincidental. It would make sense to the very reason why Yeager's Yeager's main arc and his involvement in the show is is the fact that he specifically said, I will help Kaz but that's as much as I will do. And we got the idea in the pilot when he said that the Pope, that there's something more going on there. And if in some way he blames, yes, he blames Marcus obviously for the death of his family, right? Because of that accident. But ultimately what put him in that racing racing seat, seat. the only way he could provide for his family. This is what they said in the episode this week. The only way he could provide for his family was to race. And why is that? Because the, resi- the the rebel alliance downsized the new republic downsized and they no longer needed him and essentially he was laid off yeah, he was so, let go he was fired so in some way he could also maybe inadvertently maybe if it's, even if he doesn't necessarily th- blame the new republic aka the resistance and the rebel alliance uh, you could definitely see where he may still Place blame, you know, any logical person can understand that, hey, this is a part of life. But at the same time, you can't help the emotions that certain yeah. things uh, stir up inside when when it's so intimately involved and tied into something like this, like dealing with the death of your family. And for those for those listeners out there that are listening to us and thinking that we're overanalyzing it, put put that put that put yourself in that scenario. You're working for this military. You're working for this company, whatever you're working and you're making a living. And then randomly you get laid off and you're forced to do work that you do not want to do. Because remember, Yeager, even with when, with the scenes with Doza and Marcus, Marcus is the one that wants to be the racer. Marcus is the one that wants to be the best racer in the universe. Yeager is like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not me. Mm-hmm. It's not important to me. Winning the race wasn't important to him. 
Meaning it wasn't important to him to be a racer. It, the only reason why it was important to him was because it was a, it was a way for him to make a living for his family. Right. Yeah. Which isn't the greatest way to look at your job. You know, right. if you're just looking at it and basically saying it's nine to five, whatever, and it's not what I want to do. Put yourself in that scenario. You'd be pissed off at that company or that, or that, faction for letting you go and putting you in this place right that's what i was saying like ultimately he could place blame at the foot of the new republic yeah yeah of the because of the death of his family and dude if they're smart they will continue with this for him not only is it just fantastic building blocks for a personal arc but it's fantastic it's a fantastic real world message about how our government and factions of society treat our war vets after war uh, there's the system fails many of these people. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we heard these stories of these vets who don't get the medical attention they need after war? They have psychological issues. They suffer from PTSD. Uh, they end up being homeless. They're begging for money. They can't hold down a job. It's hard for them to assimilate back into society. I mean, these are real world issues. And I, I know this is a kid's cartoon, but if they want to tie some type of relevance and a message rather than, you know, the the, the those easy messages like, hey, Kaz. You stole something and uh, broke into my personal space, but you're still a good person. Like we here's learned some sandwiches. That, here's some sandwiches. <laughs> this would be actually a really positive message to to um, to put into your show, into a show designed for kids. Yeah. And I hope they continue with this and expand on that aspect of Eager's story. It's too good not to. It's too good not to. And, and also it, when I took a look at this and I actually when you look at the, the breadcrumbs that they laid out in other forms of media, especially in the books. I mean, you see it in aftermath with wedge Achilles, how he, he is very bitter towards the rebellion because he got let go and he was considered one of the greatest pilots and one of the greatest veterans of that war. And he gets let go. Same thing with the solo solo is p- pictured as in last shot, even though we didn't quite like the, the thing, the, the way that they portrayed solo was he's like a fish out of water. he, He's gone from being a war hero to suddenly he has to deal with fatherhood. Yeah. And that's not something you can turn off very easily, you know? Yeah. I like the fact that they've been touching on this. And I think that I was always thinking in resistance, they would touch with this with a lot of their characters in, in uh, a lot of their older looking characters and in, in resistance. But Yeager is the only one that actually they've been touching it on. And it's interesting to see it in Yeager. Because it's kind of like his own story. But I always thought that Resistance was going to always touch on this big time. Because it is a big thing in in the end of uh, Return of the Jedi to actually see, okay, what happened to all those, what happened to all those uh, war heroes that we all know of from the Battle of Endor? What happened to the soldiers? What happened to the pilots? So you mean to tell me that... They won the day, but at the end of the day, Mon Mothma makes a choice of let's downsize everything. Oh, you guys that fought for me, bye. See you later. Oh, gee, thanks, Mon Mothma. Misa back. Misa back. <laughs> and it, with a gun in my hand, I'm going to shoot you. And while while it's it's uh, while it, we talked about this in a past episode, how the idea of Mon Mothma was good. Downsize your military, yes. Yeah. But in hindsight, that's a terrible thing because that's a 
that's thousands of people that you just let go and yeah. scatter to the and, winds. And we broke all that down and talked about that when we did our review on the Solo Lando novel, yeah. The Last Shot, which people, can, yeah. they can find that on our Patreon where you can get more from the back to tank. In fact, Dave, you want more Star Wars from the back to tank? You can pledge to our Patreon page and get more every month. We put out two to four additional shows exclusively for our Patreon subscribers from comic books retrospective breakdowns on the Clone War series and a whole lot more, including the books and specifically what we just got, got done covering was the Lando uh, solo story The Last Shot, where we actually break down a lot of those aspects about assimilating after war and um, and being able to cope when you are, like you said, a fish out of water. They did that really well. There were some issues with that book and we break it down, but they did nail uh, a few of those uh, key moments that I thought key were real-world issues uh, that they were able to intertwine into the story of Lando and Solo. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to all of this. All right, so also this week, we received some connections to The Force Awakens I love to see how they work the Guavian death gang into the story. And <laughs> yeah. if people don't remember, uh, there were the Guavian, the, the Guavian death soldiers were in Force Awakens briefly. Briefly. And they were with Balatik when he confronted Solo on board the Erevana, the freighter where we found Solo and Chewie for the first time in Force yes. Awakens. I like that. It, it, again, it helps with the cohesiveness of the universe. It shows the... Uh, there, the fact that we are very close to the same time period. Again, we're only six months away from uh, the Force Awakens, so it would make sense to see some of those connections and those factions, uh, certain groups that may not have been around during the Empire Rebel War. Which we have, we again looking at real world things, many different gangs and factions of military groups. Um, a lot of them pop out after a war has ended. Oh, yeah. They're usually there to take advantage, uh, take advantage of the chaos or pick up the pieces sometimes. Um, and the Guavian Death Gang is one of those groups. The Guavian Death Gang, according to the Star Wars wiki, to give a little bit of background on them, the Guavian Death Gang was a criminal organization in operation roughly 30 years after the Battle of Endor. The gang was driven out of the core worlds due to unrest in the galactic underworld after the collapse of the Galactic Empire. They employed deadly soldiers in high-impact red cybernetic armor. And I have to say, I fucking love the design. Oh, yeah. Love dude. it. When the, when these designs, if people remember when they released the Force Awakens Black Series figures. Oh, yeah. The Guavian Death Wait, Gang they soldier, have them? I didn't know yeah. they, they do. It, that was one of the first ones I picked up because I love the design of that figure. Well, I'm going to have to pick and one up. The Guavian Death Gang, it's like, it's it's so unique. When you take a look at the helmet and everything else, and it's like... It's unique, but also fits the look of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. I agree. It's really cool. Um, now, a little bit of history on them continues here. The Guavian Death Gang's red armored foot soldiers were recruited after swearing loyalty to the gang in exchange for... Excuse me. Exchange for a cybernetic augmentation, which... We always hear about this type of stuff in our games like Star Wars, the Old Republic, Star Wars Galaxies, but we don't really get a lot of the cybernetic augmentation technology in any of our TV shows and movies. And if we do, it's something like this. They just kind of pop in, but we don't really um, bring it to light. We don't really 
focus on it. So to see them use that gives me hope that someday we will focus on the cybernetic augmentation side of Star Wars. Um, Now, these soldiers were equipped with a mechanical reservoir that acted as a second heart, injecting a secret combination of chemicals into the soldier's (laughs) bloodstream. Essentially, they were Bane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving them a boost of speed and aggression, they communicated via high-frequency data streams transmitted from the central disk and their faceplates. That How sounds cool, cool that? doesn't that? That sounds so cool, and it it, it is very Star Wars. It, it's very Star Wars. It's very pulpy, and very that, pulpy. that's why I like it, because and it fits the early inspirations of Star Wars to a T. I'm telling you, Mike, take a look at the Black Series figure. It was funny because a lot of people were making a big deal about, oh, this might be like the next big bounty hunter and yeah. everything else, and people bought up that Black Series figure, and I was one of them who bought him up, and when you find out a lot of people were disappointed, but still, when you take a look at the design of but it. They were disappointed? They were disappointed because they wanted to see it more. Oh, oh. When you get that figure, you're like, going, oh, man, I want them to do more of something about this this character. And then when you find out, oh, it's a foot soldier. It's a lot of people. A lot of fans were disappointed. But for me, I'm like, going, this was awesome. Well, this is where the upcoming Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, could could also use these types oh, of things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see them bring back that costume in the I mean, maybe we could see the beginning of the Guavian soldiers and how they actually came about. I mean, that would be really cool. So the future is bright for Star Wars. Absolutely. The future is very bright. Now, despite the 24 minutes of this episode, I when you include commercials and whatnot, I felt like the pacing was good. It felt like an episode that was very focused and had purpose. And that's really all I... All, we really want that's all we really want dave is uh is a very focused episode i don't mind a show that is geared towards children just write the hell out of it and i feel like kevin burke and chris wyatt did just that and director Stuart lee uh took those words and ex- executed it appropriately uh for the screen Absolutely. so overall i enjoyed this episode dave what are your final thoughts my final thoughts on this episode was it's one of the better Star Wars Resistance episodes that I've seen this season. And I definitely think it's worth watching because for the story, for the storyline that they were telling between Marcus and uh, Yeager, it's a very mature story too. And as I said, they treated it like a mature story instead of like a children's show story with very interesting ways of using the dialogue between Yeager and, and Marcus. Yeah, the subtleties and the subtext, the subtext. was mature. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. So I would actually encourage people to check out this episode. This episode was really well done. Um, far better than any of the other ones. I give it a solid B. All right. Anybody misses our broadcast, past or present, and you're listening live on the 24-7 channel, RM channel 001, you can always find us on demand via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now Spotify. Just search Star Wars from the Back to Tank. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the Force be with us. Hello, this is Stormtrooper 1, and if you've missed any portion of the show, you can always head over to fromthebacktotank.com and uh, listen to the show at your leisure. Uh, We're also on Stitcher, Smart Radio, Stitcher.com, search Back to, and add us to your favorites. Thank you. And uh, listen responsibly. And may the force be with you. And long live. Thank you for listening to From the Back to Take. And From the Back to Take is executive produced by Michael.
Michael Flores and Dustin Lucas, hosted by Michael Flores, David Zabal. You can find out more about our show by going to www.fromthebacktotank.com. You can also find us on Twitter at FromBackToTank, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash FromTheBackToTank. <laughs>